I just want to pick up on something that I did right before our sabbatical. We we did a couple of Sundays where we just talked a little bit about a culture of invitation. Do you, do you remember that? Nod politely. It was like eight weeks ago, or whatever it was. Um, but we're going to, I thought I'd just have a go at hitting that ball one more time, if that makes sense. Um, so I thought we would think about this a little bit more. Just to recap what we talked about back then, we were talking about just being a, a community of people who really know what it means to to have this culture of invitation in us. Then we saw the example of Jesus' first followers. They were they encountered Jesus, didn't they? They they met Jesus and almost their immediate response is to be invitational to others. Um, that was their response to their encounter with him. And so you you might remember we we attempted to ask a few different questions. Uh, one, one of those questions was, um, who or what are we inviting people to? Who or what are we inviting people to? Are we inviting people to a thing, um, to a service, to, to church, to, you know, an alpha launch? Um, or, or are we inviting people to a person? And, and, and so we're trying to make that distinction that, that although the vehicle of what we're inviting people to might be an activity, ultimately we're inviting people to the person of Jesus. That's, that's what we're doing when we talk about being invitational. We also asked a more uncomfortable question, and that was why, why don't we invite? Why don't we do that? And I, I mentioned some research that was done by some by an organisation that basically said that um, eighty to ninety five percent of good Christian folks like you have no intention of inviting anyone to anything. So that means for every ten of us in this room, nine and a half of you aren't going to invite anyone. Okay. That's quite a startling statistic, isn't it? And then we, we did some kind of introspective time together, and um, we actually discovered, just like the research did, we, we could have done it for them, um, that the primary reason why we are not invitational is, is what, can anyone remember? No, you've all been to bed. Fear. We fear rejection. And so we spent some time, and you'll have to listen to the podcast, um, just trying to address the issue of fear. How do we deal with fear? And so um, if you missed that, then go and download it. So as I say, I'm going to try and attempt to hit the ball one more time and think about it in a slightly different way. I don't know if you've noticed uh, there's something quite unique about following Jesus. Um, there's something unique about our faith uh, that really differentiates us from other religious systems. Um, you see, the faith we have in Jesus isn't the faith you find by meditating alone on a mountain. Okay? Or, 
You know, it's not, uh, you, you don't discover the truth of Jesus by just looking at nature. Now, there are times when we can, we can look inward and, and discover some things about God and his redemptive power in our lives. And there's sometimes we can look outward and see some things about the character of God and, and, and what it means. But there's something about life uh, with Jesus that, that requires a proclamation. It requires someone uh, to say something. I would say it demands that someone say something. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Romans 10? I'm just picking up in verse 13. It says this, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news, isn't it? That, you know, everyone, um, if you look in the dictionary, everyone means everyone, okay? So everyone who calls on the name will be saved. And then we see some interesting statements in response to that. Verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the implications of what this passage is saying is that in order for someone to discover life with Jesus, they have to hear the name of Jesus. They have to hear the name. And the only way often they hear that name is by someone telling them. How then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, we, we get a bit jittery around that word preaching to them, don't we? Um, and I understand, I understand why. But I can pretty much guarantee that if you're in this room this morning, and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then the reality is, is that at some point, the reason why you are a follower is because someone told you about this person, Jesus. Someone proclaimed his name. You see, we're all called into this story, aren't we? We're all called into a story that trumps all other stories, a story of this this man, this God that entered into human history and he, he said and did a whole bunch of things that transformed the world. And so from generation to generation, that's been proclaimed. And as it's been proclaimed, others have been able to respond And so we did, when we discover life in Jesus, we also discover that it's something that's worth sharing. 
It's something that's worth telling others about. But the implications of that do make us feel nervous. We feel a little bit uncomfortable by that. None of us want to be that guy. You know, that guy. Um, You know, we don't want to be seen as pushy. We don't want to be seen as aggressive. We don't want to be seen as, you know, shoving Jesus down someone's throat. We don't want to do any of those things. I want to play a video clip uh, this morning. It's, it's it's about five minutes long, so I haven't had to prepare much. Uh, no, <laughs> um, um, it's about five minutes long, and uh, it's it's a video clip of a fairly famous atheist. Um, it's actually a guy called Penn from the uh, magical duo Penn and Teller, and he's quite an outspoken atheist. And um, he he just shared. He, this video is on YouTube, and he shared just an encounter he had with a follower of Jesus. So why don't we watch that, and then we'll make some comments. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and, uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. 
And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I don't know about you, but I kind of found that really fascinating, um, what what he had to say. He's, he's kind of a little bit flummoxed, isn't he? He's kind of like, oh my goodness, I had a positive encounter with one of those Jesus people. And, um, you know, he's, he's not completely sure what has happened to him. But there's something he says in that video clip that I think all of us should probably feel really challenged about. Um, that all of us should feel slightly uncomfortable about right now. And uh, and that was this idea that if we really love someone, if we really care for someone, we should be eager for them to discover the life that we have in Jesus. He used that word proselytize, doesn't he? Um, it's not a very comfortable word that we we like to use in church. But if we really do care for somebody, if we really do love people, we should be prepared to proselytize. In fact, he said it this way. He said, how much do you have to hate someone not to? Ouch. And you see, if, if the life that we have with Jesus is worth sharing, if it's worth sharing in any kind of way, we need to figure out how we share it well, don't we? 
Um, there was um, there was some research done with uh, an organisation called Hope. I used to work for them a few years ago, and, and they carried out this research across the UK. And they asked a broad range of uh, people who follow Jesus uh, a question. That was, how often do you share your faith? Now, I don't know if you've noticed in the UK, uh, the church the church is doing well, but probably only about 5% of our population would say they follow Jesus. That's the reality. Um, you know, we live in a post-Christian culture. And um, and so the question was asked to these people, how often do you share your faith? And and, and six, I think it was 60% of them said at least twice a week. I was staggered by that. I was like, wow, revival's going to happen. You know, there's this sense of, they share their faith twice a week. And then the second question was, and, 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 and how often do you then follow that conversation up? And the response from almost everyone was never, because the person wasn't interested. Now, how have we made the the best news in the world so so dull and so terrible that no one ever wants to follow that up? There's there's a, there's a problem there, isn't there? There's a there's a, there's a there's a problem that needs addressing. And so we need to figure out how do we do this well? How do we do this in a way that connects people's hearts to all the things that we believe Jesus has has done? How do we begin to 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 really make the life that we've experienced something that they can experience too? And so I just want to think of one way that we could do that. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require some participation this morning, um, and, and something that I, I want you to do as a, as a response to that. And um, my guess is that we all know the truth of what our good friend Penn was saying. We all know we're called to share the life we have with Jesus with others. We, we do, don't we? We yeah? Maybe you don't. Um, but we all know that. We all know we should do that. And sometimes it can become a fairly haphazard thing, can't it? It can be this thing where we kind of let, we think, I'm going to be good at it this week. And then we get some knockbacks and a few slaps around the face. And we just think, you know what? I can't do this anymore. What if I was to tell you, tell you that Jesus gave us a strategy for this? That in the scriptures, there's a, there's, there's one strategy. It's probably not the only strategy, but there's one strategy that we could take as a way and a means of, of sharing the life we have with him. So if you've got your Bibles, turn from where you are and go to Matthew chapter 10. Just to put this into a little bit of context, Jesus is he's, he's sending out his disciples. You know, he called these 12 guys to himself. They've been following him. And uh, the way Jesus did ministry, it's a bit like we do it here. You know, you, we, we, we kind of, we do ministry and then we get to do ministry together. And then some of you have had me just drop you in it and say, no, this is your ministry to do. Uh, that's kind of how we do it here in the vineyard. You know, it's... Not very technical, 
you know, we do it, we do it together, then you do it. Um, and that's the second week you come to church. So, um, and so Jesus is doing this to his disciples. They've been with Jesus, they've seen him do stuff, and now he's saying, right guys, I'm sending you, I'm sending you out. So I'm picking up in verse 9. He's instructing them as he sends them out. He says, do not get any gold or silver or copper or take it with you uh, in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for a worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, uh, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen uh, to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. So Jesus commands his disciples to go and he gives them some really clear instructions. First of all, he says, don't take any provisions. Don't take anything with you, but just go. And he tells them, to look for a person of peace. It's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? A person, a person of peace. And, and, and really this is, this is a reproducible model that we see happen throughout the scriptures. Uh, in Luke 9, there's a similar account to this one. In Luke 10, we see Jesus giving a similar instructions to the 72. And, um, and then we see in Acts, Peter and Cornelius, Paul and Lydia, Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. We see them for all, they have this looking for an encounter uh, with these people who we call a person of peace. And we see that time and time again. So it's a, it's a reproducible model. So if it's a reproducible model for them, maybe it's a reproducible model for us. And so what we see in the scriptures is that uh, a person of peace has some certain characteristics. And so as, as I kind of describe some of those characteristics, maybe you can think of a person of peace that's already in your life. Okay, so the first characteristic of a person of peace is it's someone who welcomes you. It's someone who welcomes you. You know, someone who is willing to receive who you are. And then it's, and then the other reality is that a person of peace is someone who's open to you. They're open to what you have to say, open to what you have, might have to say about Jesus, open about the life you have because of Jesus. We've got a, a neighbour on our streets, uh, on our street, and he, um, you know, I, I chat to him quite regularly, but we somehow always, always start talking about Jesus. <laughs> it just always seems to come back to that kind of conversation. Now, I think he might be my person of peace. <laughs> He also creates lots of arguments on our street, but that's another story. Um, But there's someone who's just open to receive what it is you have to say. The third characteristic of a person of peace is that they would be someone who wants to serve you. Someone who wants to serve you. So often, when we go out to do things, we want to we want to serve people, don't we? We want to make sure their needs are taken 
care of, but a person of peace is often someone who wants to serve us as well. I think that's why Jesus said, don't take anything with you. Because let the person you find be your provision. And so a person of peace is someone who serves you. Now these people of peace can be passing relationships. They can be people that you uh, you meet I know, on the way to work, in the gym, in Starbucks, wherever it might be. Um, just momentary encounters that you might have uh, with someone and you engage with a person of peace. Or they could be more uh, permanent relationships. As I say, it could be a neighbour, uh, a friend, uh, a co-worker, um, uh, a mom or a dad you meet on the school gate. Someone you regularly engage with could be that person of peace. And then finally, a person of peace is a gatekeeper. Okay, so this is a little bit of a strange phrase, uh, but they are a gatekeeper. Because when you meet this person of peace, you realise behind them is a whole network of people. To use a Greek word, there's an oikos, there's a household uh, around them. And so as you engage with this person of peace, not only do you engage with them, but you end up engaging with their family and their friends and and you suddenly realise they've got this whole network of people around them. So here's a thought, okay, just a, a novel thought. What if we took Jesus seriously for a moment and just accepted that this life we have with him, we're called to proclaim. We're not called to proclaim it in a weird way. You know, we're not called to be, you know, grow two heads and be this ogre or anything like that. But what if we know we're called as people to share Jesus in a winsome way with those around us? And then what if we were to think about it just strategically for once? And just think, well, what if I was to just go and find a person of peace? What if I was to just go and find someone whose peace rests upon them? And so maybe the question we ask ourselves this morning isn't who should I go to, but who is my person of peace? Who is my person of peace? It could be a relative. It could be a spouse. It could be a work colleague. But who is my person of peace? Who are the people who welcome you? Who are the the people who are open to what you have to say or interested in who you are? Who are the people who want to serve you? Whoever the answer is to that question, that's probably a person of peace. So maybe someone's come to your mind immediately. Okay? Maybe some of you are still like, oh, I need friends. (laughs) So how do we make this practical? We've got this 
Alpha course launch in two weeks' time, and um, it's going to be here. We're going to um, turn this place into uh, a lovely party atmosphere, and we're going to have a hog roast and a vegetarian option, I believe. And um, for those of you who don't like pig, I don't get that. Um, anyway, uh, um, we're going to have this hog roast and we're going to have some entertainment and it's going to be a fun evening and it's going to be um, devoid of any Christian ease or jargon or anything like that. Um, we may even have some wine on the table. Um, uh, but we just want to create an environment where you can invite your friends, where you can invite them into a place of encountering Jesus. <laughs> Uh, my, my promise to you is that no one's going to do anything weird. If they do, we'll kick them out. Okay? Uh, my, my promise is to you is that when your friends leave here, they were thinking, how could a church do something like that? Um, and that we just want to have a great evening with those around us. So some of you have been scratching your head thinking, who can I invite to this alpha thing? Who can I um, possibly twist arm, pay bribe uh, to come. Maybe you need to consider your person of peace. Maybe you need to consider the person of peace who welcomes you, who who is open to you, who serves you. The person who is in your life, who, who peace resides. Maybe that's a person you could consider. And so as we consider that this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different, okay? We haven't, we haven't defected to the Anglican church, but we have got a cross in the room this morning, and um, I'm going to just take up my cross <laughs> um, here. And... Um, And, you know, we've just had a week of praying uh, for Alpha and just uh, fasting and just preparing ourselves for what's going to take place and what we hope and long for. One of, one of the things I would say about Alpha is um, this is a party for you too. So we, need, we do need you to sign up because uh, we do need to know how many mouths we're feeding. So if you haven't even done that, regardless of who you've invited, we do need you to, to sign up uh, and... Um, kids are welcome to um so but here's what we're going to do um you're going to you're going to get a post-it note in a minute amazing invention post-it notes i wish i'd invented them um and you're going to get this post-it note and maybe you could dish them out for us and i want you to think about your person of peace okay who that person of peace may be and some of you have got names. You've got multiple names. Some of you don't know. Okay? So if you've got names of people, then I want you to just write those names on that post-it note. Okay? If you haven't got a name, or you haven't got any friends, or anything like that, I just want you to put a question mark. Okay? Just put a question mark on the post-it note.
And so what we're going to do as we, um, as we write these names on the post-it note, and you might have multiple names, okay? If you, you might want to write all the names on a post-it note, or you might want a post-it note for every person. Um, but as we do that, um, in a place of prayer, in a moment, we're just going to come and we're going to symbolically just put those names on the cross. Okay? Just as a symbolic way of like, we're just saying, we recognize who these people are, Lord. <laughs> that we, 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 we recognize that, um, there's something of the life of Jesus that, that is, is drawing these people in. <laughs> And you remember in, before the summer we talked about people being at different places on the clock face. Some people are so ready for your invite. Some people aren't. Some people will just tell you to get lost. You know? um, but some people are really ready for your invite. And so we're going um, I'm, I'm to invite, I'm gonna invite a few people to come and pray. For us as a church as we prepare for this and pray for the people that we're going to be putting on this cross. That sounds weird. Um, we're putting people on the cross. Um, but no, just the, the symbolic nature of this, that we're just bringing these people before Jesus. And then, then what I want you to do this week is, at the end of the service, come back and get your name, okay? And I want you to pray for those people the rest of this week. And I just want to give you the courage and um, just ask God for the ability to be invitational to them. Okay? And remember that, remember what we said before the summer, that the goal is in the invitation, it's not in the result. Okay? We've won when someone invites. <laughs> That's a win. Okay? The win isn't, they said yes and they came, they fell on their knees, repented and they you know, did all those sorts of things. The win is one person simply inviting another person. That's a win. So shall we, shall we stand? And we're going to pray. I'm going to invite a few people to come and pray. Maybe, um, Tammy and Anya and a few others. Ken's walked off with the mic. Um, and we're going to pray. And as we pray, I just want to invite you to come and just place the names of these friends on the cross. Does that make sense? Good church. Good church. Thank you. So let's pray.